You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Hey, you found it. This is the Hack and Grow Rich podcast. I am half of a brain of brilliance. My name is Bart Baggett, and um, this show is here to help you rethink and make money and take shortcuts. The creator of the show and the brainchild is Shaheen Shahan. And uh, Shaheen, take it away, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Bart. Good to see you again. I'm, I'm sure for our many viewers and listeners, we've been away for a couple weeks, as I know both you and me have been super busy on business deals, which actually I know is going to lead to the topic of today's show, which is focus and strategy. But as we get into that, let's just kind of take a look at what's going on in the world. Uh, On this specific night, I think we're looking at the Oscars. So um, most people are watching the Oscars. Few people are watching what's going on here with the flag of, of this little country. You know what country that is? Uh, well, it says flag of Ukraine. So unless this is a John Stewart <laughs> trick, I'm going to go with the answer of A, Ukraine, Shaheen. You're too smart. You're too smart. So interesting, interesting facts. So I was just listening to a bunch of podcasts about Ukraine, trying to get my head around what the heck is going on there and why is Russia invading and and Vladimir Putin and what's he want and I've been listening to a bunch of different academics. I find that academics, despite the fact that even academics nowadays, and some might argue, especially academics, tend to also get polarized. If you listen to both sides of a conversation, meaning left and right, and whatever else is going on, sometimes there's more than two sides, you can think for yourself and create a little bit more of a clearer picture. So I I spent a bit of time looking over what was going on in Ukraine and trying to understand what it's like from the standpoint of the other side, which is something I think that we don't often do. Uh, Let me go ahead. The other side meaning Ukrainians or the other side of Putin and the Russians as it's playing out. So I think, hang on one sec, I'm going to go ahead and, and and what I'm talking about, Bart, is the narrative. Um, The narratives that we believe are the truth, because that's what we're being told and watching, and the narratives that the people in Russia are watching. What is their narrative? So if you're unable to, at the very least, understand where your opponent is coming from, where the other side is coming from, it's very unlikely that you can come to terms. So it's one of the most important things, I think, for for academics, for politicians, for generals, for, for any of our leaders to be able to see where the other side is coming from. There's a dominant narrative here in the United States, and it's you know, supporting these people. And, 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 you know, me, I am all for nonviolence. I don't believe in war. I grew up in a war-torn country, Iran, and moving here to the United States just because of fear of war. And to this day, I still believe in nonviolence over all things. And in this case, clearly, there, there are people that are being displaced and faced with the ravages of war. But at the same time, why? What's going on on the other side? And what do the other side believe? Those are great questions. It reminds me of the book Art of War, which of course is a 2,000-year-old book, but almost all business schools and entrepreneurs recommend it. And and you're particularly unique among my entrepreneur friends is you kind of see business as a war. You kind of see it as I'm going to win and they're going to lose. And, and I kind of like that. It's super masculine and it's cool. And it's like you're always worrying about keeping one eye open because your competitors will beat you. Is this relate to possibly 
a business strategy or a capital strategy or is it simply like hey let's get in their belief systems and see if we can find a solution yeah that's interesting that's actually why i'm wearing this shirt i love this shirt but i i also think it's it's very interesting the way things are played out so if you looked at it from a western standpoint people would look at uh russia and they would say well it's a kleptocracy and they're doing this for accessing just resources but if you look at it i think from the standpoint of of russia you're dealing with literally and figuratively some of the best strategists we've ever known there's a reason why the greatest chess players to ever live come from that part of the world and in fact it's very likely that the way we play the game now came from there. Interesting fact. So the queen in chess did not appear until the Viking age. And the queen is a representation of the, uh, allegedly there's, there's historians that dispute this and others that are very heavy on the side, but of the Viking shield maidens, believe it or not. Would that be shield maidens meaning women that were at war and protected things and fought vikings were some badass people and the women were badass women for anyone who's seen the the series vikings i strongly recommend it the actual major big production show that's i think on its like sixth season or seventh season now now it's vikings valhalla you'll see the viking women uh, apparently fought right alongside the men and and curiously enough that you know historically they would find these tombs and they would find these women with like and they would find all these objects and they'd be like oh okay yeah cooking utensils that that must be for her oh a sword that must have been her husband's and and now they're going back and going no some some of these were like some badass chicks that were out there fighting right alongside the the men in in a very uh formidable uh fashion so i think you know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of this stuff, the conquest of a lot of these areas, particularly Ukraine, goes back to these times. And so I'll share my screen again and we can see. So, all right. So I'm going to lead with this. Can you see my screen? Biden and women. Okay. Just you got to watch this. This gets better straight to the brides <laughs> i mean i'm so unhappy I but mean, that many on. women around why are you so unhappy mr putin i don't understand <laughs> oh i don't think that lack of women or money are, are his problems right now. I think, you know, likely probably the, the bigger problem is that he may have very wrongly assumed that this was going to be really easy and the Ukrainians would just keel over and it didn't go that way. They are putting up a, a, a very serious battle and I think he, he underestimated them. And at the same time, you can't do this stuff anymore. The world doesn't work that way. The world is watching. Everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's got Facebook. Everybody streams stuff live all the time like we're doing now. And by the way, if you're on Facebook, make sure to ask us anything. We will open this up to ask us anything pretty soon. So what I did, Bart, is I spent a little bit of time Looking at, and I'm going to share my screen here. Uh, I spent a little bit of time looking at, all right, let's get out of this wacky ad, CNN. And you look at- Not C yet. Here it is. Boom. Got a wacky ad and then Korea scenario. Korea scenario. So this is it. 
And it's basically the same article over and over again. I am so disappointed by CNN. They used to be so great. Like it was where we all went for news. And now it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's the counterpart to Fox News. And if, if you want to be a critical thinking person, I really, truly, genuinely believe that you have to go to other avenues. You got to listen to independent podcasts. You got to find publications and intellectuals and other people that are having reasonable discourse about this stuff and examine it. Otherwise, all you get is one story. Like this is the same story over and over again. Yes, it's terrible. They're bombing them. Yes, it's terrible. You know, the, the, but look, uh, promises, immediate inv- video surfaces of soldiers shooting Russian prisoners, right? Missile strikes in Ukraine. And it's very, very heavily weighted, right? Oh, yeah. And by the way, Academy Awards, everybody, right? That's CNN. It's weird. It's really weird. So I decided to look at uh, RT, Russian news, interestingly enough. Now, funny enough, they've been taken off YouTube. So you have to go to their website and uh, they, they keep getting the site taken down, apparently. So you got to look at it with a proxy. So I've been looking at it with a VPN. And here is a completely different narrative that you're not getting on Fox and you're not getting on CNN, which is very interesting to get an idea of where these people are. Now, if you just look at the images, so looking at the images here, you see Biden standing strong and then you look Putin looking worried. Right? They're using the worst possible pictures. Forget about journalism. Let's look at RT. Look at that. Putin standing right next to, uh, right next to uh, is, that, is that Biden? I think that is Biden, right? Um, and, it, and it talks about how uh, the European Union is, is, is leaning much more towards him. It talks about Sean Penn, uh, you know, talking, to, you know, supporting Ukraine. But then look, Russia investigates footage, alleged footage of Ukrainian troops torturing uh, Russian, Russian soldiers. This, this, if we read each of these things, we would have a completely different view. So this is all, I think, very fascinating to me. But I, I guess I'll ask you, how many people do you think actually take the effort to look at the other side, even if your opinions are set on what's going on, how much time do you think most people spend looking at the other side of things? Well, let's just take the news and the political scenario as it is. And and this show rarely talks about politics. I'll be as, as unbiased as I can. Most people are comfortable spending their time listening to people that they agree with. So the news pundits, the type of news channels, etc., um, I found myself incredibly confused by some of my very, very close friends with great Republican ties telling me one thing about politics and vaccines. And at the same time, really, really good friends that I respect that have big businesses having a completely different perspective and espousing facts to me that I didn't think were facts. And this is just this 2020, 2022. So I was like, what can I do to fix that? Because I don't know the truth because I'm only getting my media from whatever is being filtered. So Shaheen, what I started doing was during breakfast times, I would listen to three different stations. I would tell Alexa to listen to NPR, Fox News, and CNN. Now that's just my limited scope in American. I would also then listen to BBC, and I don't know if you can get an authentic Russian or some sort of Middle Eastern station because it has to be translated into English. But I did my best to get those sources. Even that wasn't good enough. I watched secret interviews with certain people that were vaccine experts, and then at their perspective, I also think what was their motivation? What was their what was yes. their prerogative? So I'm kind of different than the average person, but I'm the only person besides you that I think goes out of their way to get a different perspective because I think their narrative is very important. If you're going to come to the table to ever negotiate with somebody and settle it, if you don't know their real motivation, they're keeping that under wraps and you'll never win. You may think you win, but they may get what they want and walk away. Maybe maybe, maybe Putin really just wants the islands and Crete, um, sorry, not Crete, the island of Crete, of Crimea, maybe he wants the port, maybe he's going to settle and back off and he gets half the country. I don't know what he wants. I, I sure can't speak for him and I'm not a Russian expert. So the answer to your question is probably not many because it makes us uncomfortable or mad to listen to someone with a different political opinion, even our friends, which is why we unfriend people on Facebook the last three years. It's made us mad. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I appreciate people who have the conviction of their beliefs. And I enjoy 
having conversations. I never have problems. My wife thinks I have I have problems with like deeply religious people. I mean, people that are like really, really religious. I get along perfectly with them because their beliefs are full in alignment with who they are. So they believe whoever ascended from the sky and they believe this and they're living that literally. And I don't agree with them. I don't live my life like that. But you know what? We can get along because who you are is consistent with what you believe. No problems. The problems we all have and that I have in particular was with hypocrites. It's with the moderates. It's with people that are like, yeah, well, I translated to be this way. And you're like, dude, you're espousing this thing. And then you're living this other life. And that's, that's hypocrisy. That's the big problem. I, I hate hypocrisy as well. I, I'm the similar <laughs> way. I, I, I do appreciate and respect these people who are religious if they're congruent. And the other thing is I know what to expect from them if they're congruent. If they grew up in a Muslim country, if they grew up in a Judaism culture, I at least sort of have an understanding of patterns, and I can interact with them, and I can avoid certain topics not to offend them. I don't need to stir up. You're never going to, at least in my, in my experience, you're never going to win an argument about religion with somebody that's religious. They've already decided that that belief system is correct. They decided their version of history is correct. You can show them all the scientific tables of the you know yeah. four million years of the planet Earth, and it's not going to make any difference because they feel that it's right. So why have that argument? I'd rather have an argument about who's going to win the you know the football game or the basketball tournament. At least it's more fun. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a pointless exercise, which is why you don't hear a lot of politics on my radio stations and the things that I do because generally you're just going to piss half the people off. And the people that agree with you are going to be like, yeah, yeah, Bart. Okay, Bart, million dollar challenge. Okay, you win a million dollars, but you can only pick one. Okay. Either sit down to dinner or tea or coffee with a vegan and convert them to eating meat or convert a newborn Christian or whatever the deepest religious Christian is to atheism. I'd, I'd take the newborn Christian. Because <laughs> those vegans, those those crazy motherfuckers, there's no way you're going to convince them about that. It it is it is an indoctrination of years, and more so than the new religious guy, the vegan has a circle of friends with hate and ire in their eyes at all those carnivores over there. You might as well be eating babies in some of the like hardcore vegan, and and for those of you. That- that know me. I'm so many dear friends are vegans. And it's great. I don't mind. I don't mind what you put in your mouth, man. I just don't mind at all. But do you have to look at us with such ire and despair for those of us that don't have compassion? Oh my God, he's a meat eater. He just doesn't love humanity. Oh jeez. Oh, he probably murders babies too. I don't even I, if I had to murder things to eat Shaheen, I'd be a vegan. I'd be a vegetarian. I can't murder things. I can't I can't. But I'll pay someone else to do it because I like meat and steak. Like that guy in The Matrix. I like, oh, the steak. I know it's fake, but oh, the steak is so good. I love that shit, that scene in that movie. So for you, it's an impossible burger is what you're saying. It's it's pretty tough. I mean, that one movie... Uh, there's a couple of um, Fat Sick Nearly Dead, a great movie about nutrition, make you make you really a big fan of juicing. But there was another one about the food industry. And the, everyone said, if you watch this movie, you probably won't eat meat for years. And so like, I, I was just like, you know, sometimes a narrative or a story with pictures can move oh, yeah. the needle of belief systems very, very quickly. I watched and, uh, that documentary. Dude, I didn't eat meat for two weeks. Forks over knives. Is that, is that what you're talking about? The forks over knives? Is that it? No, this was one of the ones about animals and yeah. I think they were killing dolphins or there was some crazy thing. And I was like, oh, it put me off meat for two weeks. Well, well I don't want to be part of the problem. Like, I just want to say is if you have an hour and a half with a perfect narrated story, you could move the needle on somebody. But right. I'm not as good as a documentary filmmaker over that dinner. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, we, we probably are going to get more hate mail from vegans than we would from uh, right wing religious people. So we can move right along. But. On that note, um, we can move on to speak about our topic. Um, But one interesting, interesting fact, and I'm going to share something with you here. Um, So I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me what you think. Okay, just what what are some of the things that come to mind? So just to have independent thought. My goal is for 
people to think for themselves. I want our viewers, our listeners to think for themselves. And I mean, no disrespect to anybody, whatever your beliefs are, if they work for you, good for you. But what does this image tell you? Well, he's somebody I've read for years and I, Mm -hmm. I, I have been to India many times and never got to visit him. So I think he's getting really older now, but I I think here's a guy that has learned the art of diplomacy better than anybody as he got expelled from his home country. Yet he's been living with a man without a land, but he spreads happiness. He doesn't spread resentment. He doesn't spread revenge. He's not trying to take back his country. So I, I see that as a Dalai Lama, as an enlightened man spreading happiness. Is that the right answer? Good. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought. Now, if you dig deeper, and again, I don't mean to offend anybody's sensibilities, okay? I'm going to show you another image, and I want you to tell me what you think about it. All right, well, it's hard to, hard to see, all right? You see, it's a Mongol soldier. You're not going to tell me that the Dalai Lama is a meat eater now, are you? You're going to Now, kill. take a look at this image, right? This is maybe more from those okay. historical times, Okay. We're looking at the Mongol invasion that eventually led to Tibet. Look at this war, massive bloodshed. We are talking about one of the most brutal regimes humanity has ever known. One of the greatest empires of all time, spanning from Hungary to Tibet and beyond, you know, encompassed a, a great chunk of the world. One of, one of the biggest empires to this date and killed arguably millions and millions of people in the bloodiest way possible were the Mongols. Now, what if I were to tell you that the Tibetans and the Dalai Lama are descendant from the Mongols? Well, it doesn't really surprise me because people live in a land and hundred years later, people evolve. I mean, you're Iranian, Yes. One of my other good friends, Iranian. And now that I'm learning about your culture hundreds of years ago, it just warms my heart. What a beautiful land that is. But you know, all we hear as a Western person is the Ayatollah. I mean, so I'm saying is a switch in politics or a switch in time doesn't change the people necessarily. But a one leader could absolutely scar the reputation for hundreds of years, which is what we might be seeing in Russia right now. I'm not sure. sure. But no, the descendants, and it's kind of like blaming me for the sins of my father and vice versa. It's very no, no, possible not. that a, a, a violent tribe could, could come out hundred years later with, with enlightened individuals. Yes, I'm, I'm not arguing about that. But what I'm saying is that the source, right, they, they did not descend from the most peaceful, peaceful group of people ever. These were a conquering group of people. Now, to their, to their credit, they conquered most of the known empires of that time to their uncredit or discredit, the Mongols didn't really contribute much to culture. They didn't, they weren't real builders. They were mostly conquest type people. So when you go into Tibet and you look at this like incredibly peaceful religion, which is the, the image that it has now, its roots, its origins come from this great conquest. So with that said, you could look at Putin's Russia and what he's trying to achieve, and maybe his viewpoint is, hey, he's going to be doing a lot of that bad stuff now, but what about in 1,000 years? What about in 500 years? In, in, in that same argument that you're making. I, I read something about Ukraine, and um, Putin was saying, yeah, we want, we want to bring our brothers back. It was part of our family and stuff. And one of the first photographs was a church in Ukraine that was probably built around 1200 A.D., um, which was literally before the first shovel hit Moscow. And, and so the proud people of Ukraine are saying, look at our history. But if you look at world history and you look at maps and you look at even the shifts of the tectonic plates, at some point we were all one big island and it all shifted hundreds of thousands of years. Some of us got light skin. Some of us got darker skin, depending which part of the equator. Like It depends on how back far you want to go to talk about lineage. And for me, I, the only thing I can control is what I believe now. And what I do now, it's very hard for me to control what my ancestors did, especially going back more than one or two generations, even the narrative. I can't control the narrative, much less the actions they did. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There's some people who think that there's uh, 
something called epigenetics. Have you heard about that before? It sounds very uh, Nazism. Is that where we're going now? Is this the topic we're going? No, no, no. But just that, just <laughs> that, just that some memories uh, may be stored within our DNA. Like there's certain things where, you know, they used to think that evolution took tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years or however long they said for us to evolve, right? How long does it take to lose a tail is some crazy amount of time, like way beyond our understanding. But what scientists now are arguing, and they have been for some time, is that there is a part of our DNA that remembers trauma. There's a part of our DNA that remembers the past much closer, even one generation, two generations behind. There's people who say, man, you know, my grandfather died from uh, lung cancer and I can't stand the smell or taste of cigarettes. A lot of this stuff is anecdotal. You know, there's no real way to prove it right now, even though there's there's a lot of scientists trying to to work on that. But I think I think it's interesting. I think there there is something to the fact that as a as a global organism, there may be some type of uh, uh, communal memory, some type of memory that's stored within our our genes that can be pulled up by future generations. I, I don't think that that's, you know, I'm of course not a scientist and I can't speak to this scientifically, but I think there, there's a lot of potential uh, for us learning about that, which brings me to our topic for tonight, which is strategy. And I was going to ask you about this too. So I was talking to a friend of mine today and he was telling me about all these great laid plans that he has. And he says, man, if you want to succeed, if you want to go from 5 million to 50 million, you really need a plan. And I looked at him and I, with the biggest smile I've mustered in a long time, said, bullshit. He said, what do you mean? I said, you can have all the plans you want to in the world, but that doesn't equate to you succeeding. We all have plans. Everyone's got plans. That and 50 cents and you can buy a Coke. It's execution of strategy that leads to success. It's not the planning. And the reason why I believe very strongly that planning really is one of the most irrelevant activities that you can do is because things never wind up the way that we plan them. Never. It's always a different way. And I'm, I'm relating to business in particular. You and me can have a, a plan right now and say, hey, we're going to make half a billion bucks this year. And you'd be like, yeah, that's great. We now have a plan. Okay. What do you do with that? Nothing. So how do you like to think about planning and strategy and, and goal setting? Bart? I know you, through your program, Prism, coach a lot of people to become successful. You do a lot of success-driven coaching. And I know you've been in that world for a while. Tell me a little bit about what some of your thoughts might be on that. Yeah, I, I, I've worked with some um, people that do life coaching and counseling, and even psychiatrists, and, and I don't consider myself a life coach, but I have been on stage, like at Tony Robbins, where you're helping move groups into making different decisions, and I, I love when I get a chance to, to spend some time on stage. One of the pieces of the puzzle that I have found effective, not only from observing someone like a Tony Robbins who does it on a massive scale with thousands of people in the audience and people who do it on a one-on-one -on -one scale, is that... Um, most people's goals and specific tangible plans don't come true on a short-term basis. And so you have to be incredibly flexible as your, as your day and your year is unfolding. So a better way to, uh, I guess, I, I, I hesitate to use the word manifest, but let's say create something you don't have, acquire something you don't have. If you don't have a mate, how do you find one? Instead of creating a plan, what you want to do is get people really congruent in their values so that they're consistently making the same decision over and over and over, and that decision leads them to their own nirvana. Whether that value is freedom or that value is love or that value is companionship or family, if they're clear on that, no matter what obstacle pops up, they're going to navigate around it and get back on track. Because COVID's going to happen to life. Not necessarily again, but if it wasn't COVID, it was a stock market. It was the real estate crash. It was uh, your, your, your mother had cancer. Like these things happen in life. And if you have the right strategy and you have the right values and you're aligned with them, you can get it. I'll give you an example. One of the techniques that I developed and had a lot, a lot of contribution with a lot of great people like John Asaroff is instead of just writing your goals down, 
uh, I create a sort of a incantation, so it's kind of a future pacing. And it's something that I would listen to auditorily saying, I own a house, I own this property, I have a business that makes this much revenue. Nothing in that sort of planning, or I say the word planning, nothing in that incantation um, or that self-guided meditation is a plan. And it's not a goal. It's simply me visualizing what I have at the end. So in between what I don't have, which is now, and what I think I want to have, which is a big house on a lake, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But every day or every week, I'm programming myself that I can get there. So it gives me the flexibility to navigate around any obstacle and take advantage of a particular opportunity that I wouldn't have seen. So I'm agreeing with you, Shaheen, is that planning is better than not planning <laughs> if, if, if you don't have any goals whatsoever. But if you do have goals, I think you have to seek out the right strategy in order to get there and then be incredibly flexible to adapt on the way. You've got to be super flexible and you've got to know where you're going. So the direction is more important than the goal. I think that's what I'm saying. I love that. I love that. And I think I would add to that. Uh, yes, I, I like the thought that you're having. And I like the fact that my takeaway from what you said is that you have to have clarity and that you need to have flexibility because stuff changes. And that's, that's super important. Yeah. I teach that to people when they take my Amazon course, by the way, if anyone's interested, reach out, I'll give you my Amazon course for free, teach you how to make money on Amazon. Uh, my email directly is D-A-R-K. Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Reach out to me, ask for the one hour course. I'll give that to you for free. But my thought also uh, from what you said is I really believe that you need to have a strategy first and then a goal. Why? Because your strategy is going to lead you to what your goals are going to be. And goals are good as far as them just being kind of like a, uh, a mark in the field as far as like where you're going to be running to, like a, a finish line uh, or a marker in the road as far as, hey, we're going from here to there. But when you get there, it might not be enough. You might want to go further. You may find a fork in the road that takes you to a better destination. So the goal, I believe, should come after the strategy. And the strategy also should be broken down into two parts. One is strategy and two is tactics. What's the difference between those two? Strategy is the system that you're going to use to get, get what you want. And the tactics are the individual action steps that you're going to take to achieve that. So you said a lot there. I totally agree with strategy. And strategic thinking is not everybody's bag. Like that's why CEOs make the kind of money they make when they make good money is because they're bringing strategy and then they're getting a team of other people to figure out the right tactics. And so whether you have a, a 10-person business or a 100-person business, you know, you really should be focused on the relationships and the strategies. And if you choose it wrong, and maybe Putin did, maybe he picked a bad strategy, maybe he, he – and then the tactics completely failed. I'm not sure. And if you take the war metaphor, I am totally in agreement with you that goal setting can lead to quite a bit of disappointment if you don't get the goal, you're disappointed. But if you get the goal – you're really disappointed about a month later because the dopamine wears off, the gold medals are handed out, yeah. and then what's next? And so, which is why I've always, at least in, in, even in the Rich and Happy book, which I published almost 20 years ago, it was about moving in a direction of what emotion you want consistently in your life. And if that emotion is creativity and love and family, even if you get the house or don't get the house, you can still win. Because you're you're living your life with a certain set of values, and you're also let's say let's say your value is financial security. Well, that would include money. So you got to get money. So you're going to have financial wins along the way just to make sure that you're safe and you're secure. So it's all you can still have the goals. And I love winning, and I love doing things that win. And I totally am agreeing that when you get down to the tactical level, maybe acquiring that company, maybe crossing the ten million dollar mark. Those are all targets and they're important. But if you don't do it, you better not go home and yell at your family yeah. because your family is much more important in the scheme of things than whether you got nine or 10 million that year. So I couldn't agree with you more. But the problem is if you don't own a business right now, 
If, you, if you've never managed a team of 50 people, if you haven't ever sold a company, you may wonder how does this apply to you? The tactic versus the strategy. And so for example, if you're saying, hey, I'm in a dead end job, let's say you're making good, you're making middle, middle wages, right? You work for a, a big company, but you're like, I wanna be free, I wanna be an entrepreneur. You know, jumping ship into being an entrepreneur may be a terrible decision for you at this moment. I mean, there is a lot of, of, of knowledge that moves around all the pieces of a business. Whereas what you really want is an extra $500 a month or 10, or, you know, five, or say a couple thousand dollars a month, maybe a side hustle is the better strategy than quitting your job and jumping into a new business. So that's when it comes to strategy. How do you get what you want? Because don't get roped into the next guy that says, come work with me in my most level of marketing because you'll be rich because that strategy may backfire. Yeah, it's it's totally true. And to your point, I, I charge a lot of money to do Amazon for companies. So Fortune 50s, Fortune 500 startups, VCs, bring me their companies in there, like show us how to make them succeed on Amazon. And I do it for them and we execute and we strategize. But really what they're paying me for is strategy. If you want to become a high paid consultant, if you want to get paid a lot in life, just learn strategy. There's a lot of people out there who can execute. For example, with graphic design, I love to use this as an example. Don't become a graphic designer. Learn graphic strategy, design strategy, branding strategy, and then you can hire people overseas for 10 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour to do brilliant design. Because the problem is, while they might be very technically proficient and know the software like the back of their hand, they don't know the strategy. So you really want to become a strategist in life. And you want to master the art of doing that. And I think, uh, Bart, with that said, unless there's anything you want to contribute to that. I do want to contribute. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite TV shows is called Mad Men. And it has takes place in the 60s, and he's an advertising executive. And the guy that creates the strategy for the ad campaign is the highest paid person in the building. Yeah. So a friend of mine, almost 20 years ago, helped write the slogan, Motel 6, we'll leave the light on for you. It's seven words, right? Yeah. But it absolutely captured... This, this homey wonder, and then it became a brand in itself, five or 10 words. So that guy, I think it's called the Richards Agency in Texas, you know, he helped create the brand. So that guy is probably the highest paid guy in the room. He didn't draw the pencil. He didn't do the jingle. He didn't, ex he didn't buy the ads. He didn't buy the billboards. Those are all tactical decisions. So that's why copywriters are paid so high. That's why strategists, even even life coaches, which again I, I don't I don't offer myself as those services, they're really good when they're good because they can sometimes see things that you can't. Like I always wish that if I was in a motor race, I would have a drone above me to look at all the roads to find out where the shortcut is. That's the way I see myself when I work with attorneys and I work with companies is I have this wonderful ability to see like a 10,000 foot view and see all the different options where when you're in the mud and you're in the forest, it's really hard to see all the options. And so that's when I bring in some out and help and that's when people bring me in. And the same thing with you. I was having dinner. I didn't tell you the story with a couple of guys, both of them, at least one of them was making about a hundred million a year only on Amazon. These guys were really big sellers, right? And big, wow. you know, and and none of their faces on anything. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. I want a company like that where my face isn't on there. And I know a guy that can help me, Shaheen, right? And he goes, yeah, but just a second. He goes, a few times without me knowing, they turned off one of my accounts. I had a million dollars on a ship out there, and that was wasted inventory. And I was like, whoa, that kind of risk? He's like, look, if you're going to make $100 million a year, you're going to risk a lot of stuff. Yeah. So he had the big strategy correctly, but he lamented the fact that all his eggs were kind of in one basket. So what I'm saying is even if you have a $100 million company, life can happen and all of a sudden you could be seriously derailed because maybe you didn't keep enough cash flow on hand. And I know that you've got success stories, maybe not those numbers on a consistent basis, you're not going to share those numbers, but you also have people that, that have come into the course and they're like, this is my last $4,000, can you save me? And you're like, no, I'm not taking your money. Like I can't save you if you only have 4,000 because the first thing we do may not work. 
But the strategy is we're going to get you a business that consistently pays you money for the next eight years. That's I, I, I'm not putting words in my mouth. Is that the yeah. bigger strategy? And you can do it part-time. So you may fail the first or second time. God knows how many businesses I've blown up or ideas that didn't work. But the long-term strategy is I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to create recurring revenue. And whether it's Amazon or it's Etsy or it's Facebook, you'll find a, you'll find a solution. Is that kind of what you're suggesting as far as strategy versus tactics? Yeah, totally. And and also, I think that we oftentimes think that the work is sitting at our desk, sitting at our computer, responding to emails, uh, making phone calls, having meetings, becoming busy and important. Bullshit. That's not the work. The work is the thinking. The work is the heavy lifting that we have to do up here. Because if you can get clear here in your head about what your strategy is, then you turn your brain off and you execute, you delegate, you, you, you do the actions, the tactics necessary to achieve the outcome. And, and to your point, it may succeed or it may fail. If it fails, we won't fail to learn the lesson and improve and change. And the next time we'll do it, we won't make those same mistakes. And we continue to improve. And that's how you succeed, by creating predictable recurring revenue streams. And again, for anybody that's interested, if you want my Amazon course, I'm going to give it to you for free. Reach out to me directly. Mention one hour course uh, and also uh, a new business that we just launched, by the way, Bart, that I know you and I have been talking about is Podcast Cola. What is Podcast Cola? Podcast Cola is our podcast booking agency. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in getting booked on great shows like this one and, and other fantastic podcasts, we get you unlimited guaranteed bookings for a simple flat rate. And our clients are loving us. We've had clients featured on all kinds of podcasts, and we're super, super excited about the service. So anybody that's interested in this, just go to podcastcola.com and book a discovery call. Again, that's going to be podcastcola.com. Book a discovery call with us, and I would love to get to know you and see how we could better tell your story through podcasts. And I'll put that in the Facebook group as well. I love this company, Sheena, and I'll tell you why. A lot of people are just shocked and amazed that I did fifteen or 1,600 interviews when I was promoting my books in the 90s and 2000s. In fact, I had a person recently call me a liar and say, you can't physically do 1,600 interviews. He said, were you doing like three a week for 10 years? I'm like, yep. Got up at four in the morning, got up at seven in the morning. But the difference was I had a full-time booker. And so I had a guy that I paid over 100000 a year. So you think 1500 a month or 2000 is nothing. I mean, 100000 a year, 150000 a year, he booked the shows and he got part of the revenue. And so without that guy booking it, I would never have been able to be on Jeff and Jer and Howard Stern and all these really big, I mean, the biggest radio and TV shows in the country in the 90s and 2000s. So that service is really golden because most people, if they give it 20 or 30 shows, they're going to be good. They're going to learn how to do it. I know it was 70, 80 shows before I felt like I was even moderately competent in being a guest. And yeah. so that's a really good service. And now that radio is dead compared to podcasts as far as a medium for guests, I know it's still relevant. Obviously, if you got a Howard Stern or Rick Dees, it'd be relevant. But, but the world has changed so much in 20 years. That podcast interview uh, will stay on the internet for many, many years. And so if you're uh, launching a book or creating a business service, you'll get leads coming through there for many, many years later. So it's a great thing. And then one day you'll all of a sudden get on our show or a Joe Rogan show or a show with millions of people and it'll be a home run for you. But you've got to pay the dues and do those 60, 70, 80 podcasts that no one's listening to today so that you can get great. I know, I know it looks easy what we're doing here today, but, but we're both professionals. Don't try this at home. <laughs> not, not only that, Bart, one thing that I've learned from you that I think you are very professional at is that you are a master salesman. And I know that you and I look at that. You are a master salesman because you know how to sell through story. And here's the thing. When you're 
placing a Facebook ad, you're placing a LinkedIn ad, you're trying to make money doing social media marketing and doing that kind of stuff, there isn't enough time to tell a story. People get to know you through the stories that you tell, through all the great stories that you guys have heard on this channel, through Bart, through me, of all our wild times, the times of herbal ecstasy. By the way, I didn't mention my book, but make sure to check out Billion, How I Became King of the Thrillpill Cult, available on Amazon, Audible, wherever books are found. The film is coming out soon, so please check that out. If you like the stuff that we're talking about, check out my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrillpill Cult. But you get most engaged with your audience when you're able to tell a story and drive them to the conclusion that they want what it is that you're offering because you've told them a great story and they connect with that story. And what we've discovered in recent days is that short form just isn't enough time. I don't get to know you, bro. In in, in the five seconds, I'm swiping on on, on my Instagram. Most people are swiping on their Instagram, then five different alerts come on, their Tinder comes up, their this comes up, their WhatsApp is ringing and they, they lose you. But when they get in their car and they're in that box for the next hour on their commute and they've got your podcast on play and they're listening to a show you've done with a host that they love, they're going to be engaged and they're going to listen to that. And then they're going to get to the office and they're going to go, you know what? I, I, I'm interested in what so-and-so said on that podcast. I'm going to look them up. And that's where your call to action comes to play. So again, guys, if you want to be featured on this show or other great shows, I know Bart, you've got a podcast coming out, the Bart Baggett show, which I'm excited to start listening to. Thank you. Uh, and, it's going to be great. And, and um, you know, I've got a couple of books on Audible and Amazon, but if you just go to getbartsbook.com, you can download it for free. I've got some cool videos and stuff. Again, I don't need to make money off the books, but if you could share it and like it and, you know, leave some good reviews on Amazon, it helps build a worldwide audience because at this point in my life, I, I just want you to have the tools to change and to help your friends and, and loved ones also change. And, and I think most people that have written books, they're lost leaders. We don't make money on books necessarily, but but in the long term, you can make a lot of change and you can build an audience. And so if you want advice on that, please reach out to the show. We'll do some more interesting conversations for those business owners that want to use long form, short term advertising. Uh, fascinating. But you're right. I think the purpose of these short form ads, including TikTok, which is invaluable, is to get their attention but then move them into a conversation, a relationship, because that's when transactions happen. That's when people yep. trust you. When they listen to an hour and a half of podcast, they begin to know you. And like, you know what? I'd go to Las Vegas and hang out with Bart for a weekend at a seminar, or I'd fly to Dallas and, and uh, go to an event. And, and that's when I think the real long-term relationships happen. Some of my very best friends um, have come through my books, meaning they showed up at a seminar and now they're my one of my 10 best friends because they were clients. And, and that just goes to speak that whatever I was putting out in the world, whatever book or message they heard rated, they went, you know, I like that dude. I'll go spend a grand and hang out with him and some friends. And now they're like tight. Can you believe that? Like, so it's not just customers. You develop relationships with people. And, and that's yeah. who I want to work with anyway. Like I want my closest friends to also be in business. That's a really fun way to live life. So yeah, do podcast, do, do Shaheen's thing. All right, guys. So that's podcastcola.com. Bart, do you want to give one book that you've been reading, a podcast you've been listening to, anything interesting as a takeaway for our viewers? I mean, your stuff is great, getbartsbook.com. But is there anything that's top of mind for you that you think people might enjoy? Yeah, I, I'm reading a book right now and I'm looking on Audible just so I get the name right. And, and it's been one of my really fascinating, and, and I don't know if if all of it will come out in either my books or even my stand-up comedy, but I'm so enthralled by the research of this guy. And it's by a guy named Seth Stevens Davis, and it's called Everybody Lies. Big data, new data, and what the internet can tell you about who you really are. Seth Stevens Davidowitz. So Everybody Lies, it's yeah. so good because it talks about Google Trends, and you find out that what people are really doing is profoundly different than what they say they're doing on surveys. And I won't ruin it for you, but I will tell you, he goes a deep dive of how much porn you're watching, Missouri. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever, don't ever Google trends. Go on Google and find out what 
porn keywords people are looking at in which you don't countries. want to know it's but it's yeah. not just obviously he used that as a great example and, and but Martin, it's so shocking what people really are concerned about like the size of my pp for example men google that 10 times the one versus what women care about it's fascinating did you just show your phone to the screen i think I that's did. hilarious it's like my dad you know to this day my dad sends me gifts and this is what he does he goes on the internet on his computer and he finds an image like a gif and he will take a picture with his camera of his screen and send it to me it's easier that way you know <laughs> dragging a gift yeah no that's so that's a book i'm gonna listen to again i probably okay. spent 40 50 bucks on audible just last week because i've been traveling a lot and i don't yes. see I don't, when I drive, when I get in the plane, like I want to learn and you keep learning and learning and learning. And it all comes out at some point, you know, whether it's my comedy or my self-help stuff, you know, doesn't really come out in court or with, you know, attorneys, but so it's good. Hey, this is a fun show. Let's, yeah. um, let's, let's do this again really soon. I know we're both going to be out of town, but for those of you listening, please subscribe, please like, uh, please like all of our YouTube channels. Just hit Google Bart Baggett and Shaheen Cheyenne and, uh, follow us, man. We'll like to connect with you. Leave us messages. We'll read the messages and maybe even we'll have you on the show or some recommended topics. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much, Bart. You are the man. Great to see you. Love the new studio. And guys, we'll be on hopefully next week. So if there's topics, make sure you like and subscribe us. We are Hack and Grow Rich on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. We bring you this content out of the goodness of our heart. We do not make money for doing this show. We do not have sponsors as of yet. We are doing this just to bring value. So if anything that we've done or said here brings value to you, the best way to support us now is to leave your comments, share and like, uh, and leave us a review on any of those channels. Again, I'm Shaheen Shan and my co-host Bart Baggett, and we will see you next week. Bye, guys.